This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hi, I'm Hanif Baharuddin and you're listening to Night School, the show that explores ideas and themes in the social sciences and the humanities. I'm joined by my co-host Simon Soon and our guest today, Ong Karjin. Welcome to the show, everyone. Hello, hello. Hello. Hi. Okay, so uh, Karjin, before we start, maybe you can introduce yourself first. Mm. Hi, I'm Kajin. Um, so I'm an Associate Director of Corporate Planning at Razer Inc. Mm-hmm. So Razer is a gaming company, but we're also in the fintech business. Mm-hmm. So I guess my interest here today is, you know, bridging the real quote-unquote world and the virtual world that people often think gamers occupy. Yep. Okay, That's so what's this world? Is this the virtual world that we're talking about? Um, this world yeah. right here? Uh-huh. Well, I, I guess... It's interesting you mentioned that, right? Because here we are, the three of us are speaking in a physical room. Yet the listener here is listening to us. Mm-hmm. So, And when they are listening to it on their radio, they don't think that we live in the radio. Mm-hmm. We occupy a space in their mind, a virtual space. Mm-hmm. They don't imagine us on the studio. They don't imagine us in the radio. We occupy this third liminal space, right. an imaginary space. And people have argued that that is, in fact, a virtual space. The space between telephone lines, so to speak. Mm. Mm. Mm -hmm. When it comes to the word virtual, people tend to associate it with the digital world these days, right? But it doesn't necessarily have to mean that, right? No. uh, You know, you can go back to the other meaning of the word virtual, right? Mm -hmm. So they say, this is virtually there, meaning it is almost nearly there, right? right? So there's another meaning of the word virtual, and so, another meaning of the word virtual world is a world that is almost there in reality, right. yet is not quite. There's a gap. And it's this gap between the virtual and the real that allows these two worlds to coexist. So, what fascinates you about this virtual world? Uh, are you a digital native, for example? Are you uh, specifically interested in cultures that uh, emerge from uh, the kind of digital revolution? that has um, happened in the recent times or uh, uh, what sort of like spurred your interest into looking at the virtual? Yeah, well, um, I think <laughs> admission is I'm a gamer first okay. and foremost, right? Hmm. So I grew up playing, role-playing games mostly. I played uh, the MMORPGs, massively multiplayer online role-playing okay. games like World of Warcraft, did you EverQuest. Remember, did you ever have a time that you played actually Dungeons & Dragons? Yes, Dungeons & okay. Actually, I come, it came into Dungeons & Dragons after I discovered digital computer games. Uh-huh. But I found that it was very similar, right? You're occupying a character that you've invented and you become another person, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But my kind of interest and kind of like why I was so intent on exploring the gap between these two things is because, you know, when you grow up, your parents tell you, oh, don't play so many video games lah. Spend time in the real world. Get to know real people. Mm -hmm. And I always felt that this was an unfair characterization because when I think back, and I think if you take it out of games and you just ask people, what are some of your most life-changing moments? What are some of your most fond memories? It's time spent reading Mm-hmm. And I contend that you, when you read, you're actually entering someone else's virtual world. Okay. Listening to radio, watching TV, consuming media, mm-hmm. or interacting online. And that's a virtual space. Mm-hmm. And why shouldn't it be as real, as important as going outside to play? 
Right. Mm. So you're asking us to really start thinking about the virtual as a space of sort of interaction, right? Exactly. Uh-huh. Mm. What then sort of like allows for this kind of interaction to happen? You mentioned online sort of gaming as one kind of platform, but I also sort of like understand other than role playing sort of like games, there are different kinds of like sites or different sort of like platforms that would allow for maybe different kinds of like uh, virtual relationships to emerge. Are you exploring those as well? Like you know. Uh, you hear stuff about the dark internet. Mm. The dark I, web, right? The dark yeah, web. In the, in the old days, there was such a thing as the mailing list. Yes, yes. <laughs> Geocities. In the earlier days, there was stuff like, you know, MIRC. Oh, yes. uh, ICQ. Uh, ICQ. ICQ, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, the right. flower petals. Yeah. And right. yeah. Uh, um, I think you hit it right on the nail when you say the virtual is very related to the social, right? Mm-hmm. Because pe- when people think about virtual now, they think, oh, it has to do with technology first and foremost, mm-hmm. right? The immersiveness of a TV screen that is so big, it consumes your peripheral vision or virtual reality goggles and all that. But I would say that, you know, that's not the thing that really makes virtual world so compelling. Mm-hmm. It's the social aspect. It's the sociality of becoming another person mm-hmm. and the exhibition of that person. So okay. when you r- scroll on Instagram, mm. I contend that you are participating in a virtual space occupied by virtual personas mm. and you are also presenting a virtual self. You are an avatar of yourself, right. not your real quote-unquote self. If there is such a thing. If mm. there is such a thing. Right. And I think if you want to really go back to it, right? So I, I, I would contend that this kind of sharp division that people always mm. put between what is real and what is virtual is a very post-enlightenment Western conception. Mm. If you look at Plato, for example, mm-hmm. Plato and his very famous allegory of the cave, you know, we're in the cave and we're looking at shadows. Mm-hmm. And the Greek philosophers contended that we are actually engaging with a higher plane of existence, mm-hmm. uh, r- something that's more true than what we can see when we engage with ideas, the realm of ideas, the realm of mathematics. Right, right. If you look at Dream of the Red Chamber, mm-hmm. if you look at Zhuangzi, the Chinese philosopher who asked, who had a dream of, about being a butterfly, and when he woke up about from the dream, he asked, mm-hmm. was I dreaming of being a butterfly or am I a butterfly dreaming of being a human. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In the Eastern tradition, in the pre-enlightenment, even the Western tradition, right. what they thought was that the real quote-unquote world that we can sense is less real than the virtual world of ideas, of abstraction, of culture. Mm. I see. Yeah. Um, actually, I mean, that sort of like brings to mind, I mean, what do you then think to sort of like bring it back to sort of the question of technology? Mm. Uh, what do you think then of uh, what actually Web 2.0 then enables, right? I mean, mm-hmm. the kind of like binary that you have set up, it's very clearly sort of like spelled out in like the early sort of like uh, use of the the internet. Uh, yeah. You know, you have to sort of like sign in, uh, it dials mm-hmm. up, and then you enter into another world. And this right. world is quite separate from our sort of like live everyday sort of reality. Yep. But with uh, Web 2.0 sort of like technology enabling that whole sort of like almost instant uh, vaccination between the virtual world as well as the world that we live now in the form of say a mobile handphone that is mm. uh, a 4G mobile sort of like handphone mm. how is this collapse more sort of like uh, is it sort of like moving towards what you've sort of like just described a less kind of like pronounced demarcation of reality according to a kind of hierarchy in which the physical sort of like world is more authentic mm. versus this other 
persona projected kind of like uh, interaction as more a semblance of this reality. Yeah. So I think when we look at, for example, anthropological studies of digital cultures, you know, World of Warcraft interview, Second Life, people who play all these virtual worlds and occupy avatars, the term they often use is bleed through. This oh, is when... Have you heard of that before? Yeah, bleed yep. through is what, when what? <laughs> like your, your virtual persona details of your real life bleed through to your virtual world. Ah, right? So what does that mean? Does that mean a slippage on some level or, or is that an intentional through. sort yeah, of Yeah, I think like, it's, it's a kind of like, you know, the borders are never concrete. Right. Okay. They're always porous, right? Mm. So there are real world things that seep into there. Like one of the most famous incidents that caught the attention of economists early on was that in Second Life, people were selling land, virtual land, mm. for real US dollar money. Right. And even now today, the entire economy of the digital economy of downloadables mm-hmm. and virtual items is a huge industry. So right. that kind of bleed-through, economic bleed-through happens. But there's also cultural bleed-through where terms from video game land has become real where Reddit communities and the things they talk about, whether it's incels, whether it's extremist groups having their little communities, is bleeding through to the real world. So I don't think this kind of neat demarcation makes any sense anymore when we're seeing in the real world, every day there's bleed-through effects that affect real people and real societies. Mm, Okay, okay. It's a false dichotomy. Right. Mm. Do you think that it's intentional though? Because um, sometimes when you think about how people create their own personas, especially online, right? Whether through social media or whether through their own avatars, it tends to be very uh, aspirational or make-believe, right? Mm. And Especially is also sometimes quite contentious because sometimes right. you purposely create an evil persona online yes. uh, to, to, to sort of like live this different life, right? So I wonder whether sometimes it's organic or intentional in, in its purpose. Yeah, I think that when people play these roles, mm-hmm. you know, there have been anthropological studies on it and people often revert or come back to what is easiest for them, which is being themselves. Right. They may represent shades of themselves, but they're always representing shades, not entirely different people. So, and, you know, if you want to take it away from games and say, you know, I am different on LinkedIn Mm -hmm. than I am on Instagram. I would not bring my Instagram artsy self taking fancy photos of coffee Mm -hmm. to LinkedIn Mm -hmm. where I'm posting, you know, oh, I'm at this tech conference, blah, blah, blah. Right, 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 right. (laughs) And that is already a shade of self-representation. Mm-hmm. But if you want to take it one step further, you're different with your family mm-hmm. than you're with, with your friends hanging out in the mama at 12pm. Right. You know, you're different with different people in different settings. Right, right. Those are other selves coming through. And the virtual self, I think, is facilitated by technology right. in that you are able to have this simultaneous representation. Mm-hmm. You don't have to switch between modes because you can be on LinkedIn and Instagram and Facebook and all these places and Twitter and be a social activist on Twitter right. all at the same time. Right, right, right. What about the question of personality? Because sometimes, um, I think one of the things that I've observed on social media is how it sort of create like a platform for people who are introverts, right? Mm. Uh, and in, in the sense that you can see people who are introverts can sometimes be quite vocal online. Mm-hmm. And, and they have never, if you know them in real life, they have never embodied that kind of personality. Whereas right. mm-hmm. suddenly on social media, you know, they can be quite very vocal on a lot of things, right? So is that a case of using the platform as, as a way to um, overcome your, your, your own personal barriers? 
I, I think there's definitely the element of it. So, for example, some, for example, in, in virtual reality, I'll use virtual mm-hmm. reality as an example because it's the most extreme end of this right. fidelity, right? right. When oh, you say VR, you, you mean, mean the that goggles and all that fancy things, immerse yourself lens, into it. Okay. immersing yourself. They have used this in therapy for PTSD survivors, mm. right? Especially in war zones. Right. Uh, it's exposure therapy, okay. essentially. And they found that it works, right? Mm-hmm. These technologies are capable of tricking ourselves into thinking they are real. Mm. Um, and I think if you even if you take away the fancy goggles and all that, mm-hmm. if you look at social media, mm-hmm. there is this effect of we take social media. We don't say, oh, this person or social media is fake. We may think that cognitively afterwards, but we often take it as real. Mm. It comes true. Right, right, right. Yeah, you know, I mean, I used to remember there was a very different internet culture in the 1990s, Mm. right? Where you're almost able to become anonymous Mm. rather than collapsing all these different sort of like personality into a range of sort of like personality spectrum Mm. that you then sort of like occupy according to whichever platform that you use to interact with different uh, people. Mm. Uh, w- there was a time where I guess the internet offered that kind of like anonymity. Mm. Is that space no longer possible? Uh, mm. Given that I think what happens when you have that kind of anonymity is that you are also sort of like given an opportunity to almost radically assume a different identity, right? Mm. Uh, where does that sort of like possibility like today is that on the retreat are there still pockets where people are able to sort of like live out that kind of sort of like virtual existence or or is that even valuable anymore do we even have to sort of is that even worth sort of like thinking about Mm. Um, because it seemed like you know even within the short history of internet things have sort of like changed Mm. so much Mm. I think first off is to demarcate what is anonymous versus right. what is pseudonymous, right? right? Mm-hmm. Because I think the element of the pseudonym is actually very important mm-hmm. because when you assume a pseudonym, it's not that you're not identifiable, right? right? You're not nobody. Mm-hmm. You are occupying an avatar, a different, a different right. persona, and that persona can be consistent. right? So you're carrying that name. Mm-hmm. And I would argue that the places where these kind of pseudonymity still exist is Reddit, for sure, mm-hmm. right? And I think there's a reason why all these Reddit sub-communities are thriving, mm-hmm. for better or for worse. Mm-hmm. Um, role-playing forums and games, mm-hmm. certainly. Well, I think what has happened with you know Facebook and you know Facebook's policy of saying, no, 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 you have to register with your real name mm-hmm. is a need for a perceived sense of one, security, right? right? Two, accountability. Um, and three, let's be frank, corporate control of data, mm. right? If you're going to have drag trees, nine, zero, underscore, whatever, mm-hmm. and then you could be anyone. Yeah. But if you're, you know, Simon Soon, then they know, they can profile you, they can advertise to you. Yeah. So there is a very commercial element to this sort of like, ending of complete pseudonymity as the primary digital identity on the internet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Right. I mean, is privacy still like something that people talk about when we, it comes to, you know, discussions about, you know, the, the digital frontier? 
is this something that is still sort of like valued? I know in certain sort of like activist circle, this is still something that is constantly, at least uh, uh, activists are constantly sort of like making sure that this is an issue that is uh, at least, uh, that they, they continue to sort of like fight for, right? Um, but uh, it seems like a lot of people are willing to sort of like compromise and, and would sort of like compromise in exchange for, you know, maybe mm. certain some of like security I, and I would certain actually kind of like push back against that right. narrative. Okay. Right. Because I think the assumption you're making here mm-hmm. is that you are on Facebook, mm-hmm. therefore you've given up your privacy, mm-hmm. therefore you cannot then occupy this pseudonymous places. Right. But you can have a Facebook account, you or can multiple. have an Instagram account. You can have a Finster, right. you know, an alternative Instagram I have no account. Idea what that is. Okay. Um, <laughs> you can have still have your Reddit things, and I think right. that's what people are doing. They are maintaining Facebook, and they are very conscious. People are very conscious. People of our generation, digital natives, are very conscious of what they put on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Right? It's deliberate, mm-hmm. and they are savvy enough to then say, "Okay, this is my Facebook self," right. but I can still occupy all these other cells on Reddit, on 4chan, mm. on whatever forum. So I think let's move away from that discussion of, yes, it's the end of the pseudonymous era. Right. No, it's simultaneous. It's sim- okay. We are both identifiable right. to commercial groups and we are also resisting by creating these other sub-niches. Okay. Mm, all right. And on that note, uh, let's take a break first. Yep. Uh, stay tuned. You're listening to Night School with me, Hanif Baharuddin and Simon Soon. And this week, we're joined by our guest, Ong Karjin, and we're talking about virtual lives, uh, BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, you're tuned into Night School with me, Hanif Baharudin, and I'm joined by Simon Soon and our guest for the week, Ong Karjin, and we're discussing virtual lives. Um, so we ended the first part with the question of privacy. I think something that's something that's always raised these days when it comes to mm. talking about your, I mean, your virtual lives, right? I mean, question of privacy is always important. In fact, I, you could argue that that's the most important thing that people have been talking about when it comes to our lives online, right? But is it so? The thing is, I, I, I kind of feel like for a lot of uh, younger generation, they don't actually sort of like regard this as important anymore. Mm. There is also this uh, generation that's growing up to sort of like feel whatever that they sort of like present out there. The collapse between our sort of like conventional understanding of what's private and public mm. is no longer sort of like as clear cut as I don't know people from say my generation. Yep, I mean uh, you're not that old, Simon. And right. I, I think I, 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 I do feel like that there are, there's this huge change. No, in the way but 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 understand. I'm with you though. I'm yeah. with you. I, I I I'm still a bit cautious when it comes right. to social media and also just mm-hmm. the virtual world in terms of privacy. But um, you're right. I do observe a lot of people who are these days a bit more casual or have a different kind of attitude towards privacy. Mm-hmm. Especially yeah. when it comes to security and things like that, and they're a bit more willing to share that information with with you know with the companies or whatever, yeah. as long as they can get convenience mm. or you know right. the most things extreme case would be a thing called live streaming, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I I don't know much about it. I've you know downloaded some apps to sort of like figure that out after reading some. I articles. think you just use YouTube, Simon. Yeah. Okay. You know they live stream everything nowadays. Have you heard of mukbang? Ah uh, yes, 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 yes. So, but don't you watch it on like an app? Like, oh, well, no? I mean, there are a lot of different alternatives okay, that you right. can okay. so, yeah, so yeah, subscribe yeah, to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I guess that brings the conversation to how we perceive the virtual world, right? In the sense that I think you cannot not call it a public sphere these days, right? right. Because it has mm. sort of like become public in that sense. And I think you mentioned earlier in the first part of the show about how we are introducing regulations and rules to govern 
the fact that we are introducing all these mm-hmm. things show that um, we are to a certain extent trying to sort of like you know put fences around it so that we can make more sense out of it I, th- I guess we yeah. need to we need to I think bring the concept of re- how we approach real world you new know, rules and regulations and mm. laws and whatnot to the virtual space because it needs to be governed to a certain extent yeah. like, you cannot mm. not govern the virtual space although at one point people see virtual space as a as, as a free utopia for right. people to just do whatever right, they want right, right? Yeah. Right, yeah. Right, yeah. Right. yeah yeah so I think if you ask a philosophical computer scientist right, right. just as you ask a philosophical physicist they will tell you everything is atoms. All that we have is matter. A computer scientist will say mm-hmm. everything we have is code. It's all data, right? Data hard coded. DNA is just <laughs> ones and zeros, right? And then different configurations. And I think if you take that view that uh-huh. we are all data, and then now that we are virtualizing ourselves, okay, that's all data, then the question comes, who owns this data, mm. right? And then you hit upon the central question of social media as a public sphere. And you say that it's a public sphere, but right. may I ask, why do you say it's a public sphere? I think only by virtue of people you know, congregating like copy, yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. right. It yeah. sounds like a space that maybe people vent. Right. Yeah. But on, would you say, this, uh, is this BFM studio a public space? Not necessarily. No, right. yeah. It's privately right. owned. Yeah, it's privately and I think owned. in the same way, social media platforms are privately owned. Yeah. And therein lies a great contradiction, right? right? Because you say it's a public sphere because we're all publicly participating yeah. in it. But all the data, all the infrastructure, all the servers are privately owned. But wouldn't you say of sort of like historical sort of like bourgeois public sphere in the past are also maybe a, a lot of them are also privately sort of like own spaces if you think of the cafes yep it's a SME yep. essentially right unless you're talking about the plaza but even the plaza it's owned by the state correct uh, yeah so uh, then you know you come into this great contradiction right uh-huh. for example our passports or our ICs right mm. it's a crime to damage your passport so, yeah, because it's not yours out. to own <laughs> it's actually state property wow. so <laughs> You know, in that sense, you know, you have to question how much of our lives was really owned by ourselves, mm. how much was really private, right? I think what the virtualizing has done is it's just put on a much greater variety of data about ourselves mm-hmm. on it. But the idea of our most central identities, I mean, without an IC, you're stateless. Yeah. You know, you're nothing in the eyes mm-hmm. of the government. Your life will be destroyed. Mm. But that's not owned by you. And similarly, online, it's not owned by you. Um, So I would challenge the idea that this is very new, this kind of ownership, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I think the next question to ask, right, is, okay, now that we've accepted that, yeah, okay, maybe it's not that new or whatever, what can we do? What is the effect of virtualizing more and more ourselves, our pictures, our birthdays, our relationships, the entire sort of, you know, miasma of our life just thrown into virtual space. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, what are we without this? What mm. happens if you delete your Facebook account? Right. And that's terrifying to many people. Mm-hmm. I think people of my age, they'd be horrified. They'd be. I think if they lost their IC, they'd right. be okay lah. What to do? Go police report. <laughs> right, if right. someone deleted their Facebook account, they would freak out. That's true. People cry over the fact that uh, Instagrams get hacked, no? Yes, <laughs> yes, right. yes. Because I think you have to understand that this social media space is a way of earning currency, mm. social currency, social yeah. capital. You know, nowadays, even when you're applying for a job, 
if you don't have a LinkedIn, yeah. your company will be like, why doesn't this person have a LinkedIn? Right. Sketchy lah. Oh. Must be something wrong with this fella. Right, right, you know, right. they, they, uh, all the companies do their due diligence and they check your Facebook, check your Twitter and people of my age know before you apply for a job, you better scrub your Twitter of, you oh, know, wow. 2007 videos of Lil Wayne or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, right. yeah. I mean, it's it's it has become a necessity. It sounds like. But um, do you think that the the digital world, the you know, virtual world, is is privileged in that sense? Do you think that um, it's a necessity, and yet there are still like you know inequality within within the of world, course. or even mm-hmm. like, yeah. um, you know, I I I think there's this huge inequality, right? But the question to ask is not whether who has internet or who doesn't because mm. more and more everybody has everybody internet is, mm-hmm. but what modes and mediums the technology they are working it on right so what the experience like yeah or, I mean I just ex- uh, some, right. something as simple as how big is your screen okay right is it very different to experience participating in Netflix for example mm. on a small mobile phone versus a computer monitor on a laptop versus a 4K TV. Right. And it's different, right? So one of the... We need more granularity in how we examine these questions. Mm-hmm. For example, mm-hmm. um, you know, in some studies, I mean, social scientists are very frustrated because sometimes they go to these telcos and mm-hmm. they say, oh, you know, let's take a look at digital inequality, internet inequality. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the industry players will say something like, oh yeah, everybody has internet. Okay. But how are they accessing the internet? Right. Right? Because if a person in a PPR has mm-hmm. to do, and if a school is saying, oh, we're going to digitalize all your homework, right. and he has to do it on a mobile phone to mm-hmm. borrow his father's mobile phone to do it versus a rich kid working on a laptop, that's very different. That's nice. And the virtual cells they will experience, you know, how essential was it to be a cool kid and interact with your, you know, or flirt with everybody on ICQ or MSN or mm. Messenger and now WhatsApp? And if you're a kid right. without it, you're left out. Right. right. You mm. know, poke people on your Facebook. That used to be the thing. <laughs> yep. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. The horror is all coming back to me. <laughs> See, Simon is not that old. <laughs> Do, do you think that we are moving at such a rapid pace that we are we are looking forward to replacing or we are ready to sort of like you know make our lives more apparent digitally rather than you know in real life because it seems mm. like I mean accessibility to digital world is, is, is important it's crucial but at the same time it seems like you know based on what we've discussed it seems like we're heading there and we want to hit that at such a rapid pace and we are looking at all these different aspects of things to sort right. of like you know uh, make sure that the digital space is as livable as our car- right. our, our, real, mm-hmm. our real, real world right so I, I'm trying to like think what the <laughs> following on that is like what is the end point to all of this right what is mm. the tell us are we going to one day be able to sort of like transfer our consciousness into <laughs> to a, a sort of like uh, into a server that would allow us to live on forever is mm. that right. is that yeah is that the end goal yeah. is that the end goal is that what is desire right. what is um, that what's inspiring is that with aspiration or what, what is it what is driving this compulsion to it the virtual I think you know there's there's several groups here right, right. when you're talking about this there is a certain group of utopianists we call mm. them who think about things like the singularity mm-hmm. as this hallowed event on the horizon where everything will change to humanity and we will be released from the shackles of our bodies right. and ascend to 
Well, godhood essentially, right? right? To be immortal in cold. <laughs> I, I'm not really one of those people, right? <laughs> uh, I'm not really one of those people where, you know, this is all fine and dandy. Right. But I, I think there is something to that idea. The idea that we can live more and more and more and more in a virtual space right. instead of a real world. Mm. Um, Interesting. And I yeah. would say that actually it's already happening, yeah. right? The moment labor, work was divorced from the physicality, mm-hmm. we were already in this trajectory, right. right? The moment work ceased to be viewed as the notion of physical effort, right. we were on this trajectory. Right, right. So we just want more life. We want all the range of possibilities of sort of human yeah, experience. Yeah, I, I think the, the utopianist right. sort of view of this is freedom. Right. This is what they think is freedom. Mm-hmm. The ability to be unbound from your physical nature. And there's something attractive about this, mm-hmm. right? Because then it means, theoretically, it doesn't matter that you are born here or you're born whatever color yeah. of your skin you are, you're born short or tall or yeah. big or small. It doesn't matter. You can be whoever you want to be. Mm-hmm. But as we've talked about before, there's always bleed through. Mm-hmm. There's always digital inequality. Mm-hmm. You can never escape no matter how much you want. And the real world always comes back and bites you. Mm-hmm. What are the other ideals then that are <laughs> sort of like driving? Well, I mean... You know, if you take the utopianist right. sort of creed, right? There's either two. One okay. is libertarianism. Okay. Libertarians are like, yes, you know, technology will free us all. There'll be no government. Everything will be decentralized, right, right. blah, blah, blah. And then there's also on the other end, the left wing, the super left wing, yeah. who believe in Marx's original vision right. that the technology is the key to freeing us from labor Therefore, one day we would we'll, we'll live in a Star Trek world where things will be replicated and we'll live in the hollow deck, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think at least for the foreseeable future, neither of these things will be real. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there is a real cost to all this computing power. Let's not forget the environmental cost, mm. right? That disproportionately affects the developing world, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like the most recent huge thing that people are talking about is uh, blockchain right. and Bitcoin, right? The the central idea for those people who don't know is you know, decentralization, right? Okay. You don't trust the central bank, like Federal Reserve, the US dollar anymore because mm-hmm. it's all controlled by a centralized entity. Therefore, let's distribute power. Let's have this decentralized currency where everybody can participate. Everybody is a central bank. You are a central bank. You are a central bank. <laughs> everybody is a central bank. Yeah. Therefore, there's no Leviathan. There's no village chief telling you what to do. Therefore, it's freedom. Right. But that's never quite the case because then... The problem becomes that even in this sort of decentralized world, inequalities persist, right? Bitcoin takes massive computing power mm-hmm. to verify transactions. And obviously, the people who can buy more computers will win. More power mm-hmm. of computers will win. Mm-hmm. The environmental cost is significant, mm-hmm. you know, where we're going to get cheap power, where right. we're going to chop down the trees to 
paywall is cool. You know, you can't escape from that. And I think that's the central conceit of a lot of technologies is that there is no price to pay for more technology. Yeah, I think we sometimes forget about the environmental concerns when it comes to you know technological advancement, right? And I think that conversation hasn't been happening at such a you know vibrant pace. I feel like you know maybe we should talk more about that sometimes, right? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, just maybe just before we sort of like wrap up, give us a temperature on what are tech advocates or what are tech analysts in Malaysia talking about? I mean, are these some of the things that are keeping them awake at night? Where is the level of sort of like discourse and uh, where would you hope to sort of like see it go? Um, uh, you know, very frankly, I think most of the conversations that happen, especially in Malaysia, I think it's because we're very hung up on this idea of developed nation status. Or mm. wasan duopolo, duplo. And now the, the latest buzzword is IR 4.0, Industrial mm-hmm. Revolution 4.0. Right. To which I'm always like, what, what was 3.0 and 2.0? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's in a book, lah. It's, right. it's in, a, some, you know, in a business book. But I think the point is that we, I think we haven't escaped this notions of technological development being the key to our salvation as a nation state. Right, right. To interrogating why, <laughs> you know? It's not going to be the flying car is not going to solve mm-hmm. the problems with inequality and inequity. Right. So larger humanitarian question just hasn't sort of like... Yeah, I, I think that. I think there has been some work being done and, and some work is being done, you know, looking at inequality. Like, mm-hmm. the you know, the significant work being looked at, at looking, for example, the ride-hailing industry mm-hmm. and how, you know, drivers are technically self-employed, quote-unquote. Okay. Right, and mm. you're like, mm, but they work for Grab, right? Uh, <laughs> so, so there's there's work on those kind of social issues, mm-hmm. but I think to take that on one higher level of abstraction and to ask something like, okay, what is the effect of virtualization on a society, and how does it affect different demographics, the poor, the rich, um, different racial groups, different urban versus rural, differently, mm-hmm. and they do, right? What is the effect on a public sphere and public discourse when traditional media moves to social media mm-hmm. and that social media actors are writing in very different ways? These questions are not interrogated on. Mm. And I really hope that there'll be more avenues. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, thank you to BFM for hosting this, right? Mm. Because there are very few avenues where tech is talked about past a business sense and past a utopic development nation sense mm. to interrogate that. I'm not saying that technology is not good, right? right? I'm not a luddite. I mean, I'm working in a technology company. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what I'm saying is that we, we have to interrogate why we're doing these things. You know, I think that the thing that, that struck me most and really got me into this journey of looking at why we have to look at technology is that we often think that we shape technology. We are the master and creator of technology. We are homo faber, the man who creates. Mm -hmm. But the truth is that technology, our tools often make us as often as we make our tools, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, the cautionary tale of now Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg kind of waking up one day and he's like, oh no, what monster did I create? What, what have I done? And then being like, no, no, we're supposed to be the good guys. 
right? This It's a cyclical sense, you know? There's always a good guy. There's always a bad guy. Apple was the good guy. Now Apple is the bad guy. And maybe now <laughs> Microsoft was the bad guy. And now Microsoft is a good guy again, <laughs> right? Yep. Yeah. Like right. like you said, on Kajin, there are a lot of things to uh, discuss and interrogate and explore. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have enough time to explore everything. Mm, thank you very much for having me. Yeah. You back in yeah. But I mean, uh, we are open to bringing you back in yeah. to discuss all the other <laughs> all the other branches of conversations that thank we had learn. today. Yeah. yeah. Uh, thank you very much to our guest of the week. Thank uh, you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you to Simon Sun as well. Uh, we've been discussing the concept of virtual lives. Uh, share your thoughts with us by tweeting us at BFM Radio, or you can send us an email to nightschool at bfm dot my. Uh, you can also follow us on Facebook. Look for BFM Night School. Um, thanks once again uh, Wong Kajin and Simon Soon I'm Hanif Baharudin and you've been listening to Night School on BFM 89.9 The Business Station Thank you for listening to this podcast To find more great interviews go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes BFM 89.9 The Business Station